Kia no mai, hi to mai, I'm Dan, welcome to the Short Vineyard Podcast, great to have you listening today. The message you're about to hear is from our current series called Eight Journeys, God Encounters That Could Change Us Forever. We want to explore this idea of being moved in 2019 from wherever we are now to wherever God is calling us to, taking whatever next step there is in our faith journey. So hopefully that's what this message encourages you to do. And stick around because at the end, I'll let you know how you could take a next step to be a further part of our church community. Right now, enjoy the message. Now, as you know, as a church, we've been discovering the faith journeys of eight characters in the Bible, and I was given Zacchaeus. And I was stoked about that. When Vic said that, I almost laughed because Zacchaeus has that kind of that kind of thing about him where you, you think of him as quite a, a humorous person. It's a, it's a colorful character. It's memorable. Um, I'm sure you all know Zacchaeus is the one who climbed the tree, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. So you will find the story in almost every children's Bible you look in. But the thing that's interesting is that Zacchaeus is only written about in in the Gospel of Luke, and it's only 10 verses long. And yet, it's it's a significant story, and we all know it. And I think the fact that the story is so well known, it says to me that there was something about this story that was not just for that time, but for generations to come. And so there's an, an awesome theological truth, an awesome God truth in this story, which I hope you get a sense of this morning. Um, Luke is known as the gospel writer of our universal saviour. So what Luke tries to do is, is show the side of Jesus that is the, the friend to the outcast and that this, the saving work that he did was for all of us. And I think Zacchaeus is no exception. So because this is such a well-known story, you may have a picture in your mind of Zacchaeus. And uh, I don't know if I've been ruined by the kids' books or anything, but the thing that comes to mind, the person that comes to mind when I think of what Zacchaeus looks like is uh, this guy. (laughs) This might be showing my age, but this is Vizzini from The Princess Bride, you know, the best movie of all time. This guy's a villain, but he's also really funny, and he is short of stature. And so this is the guy that I think of. Um, Am I the only one? Does that look like Zacchaeus? Um, But all we actually know about his um, physical nature is that um, he's short. And so he could just as well look like this guy. Isn't that nicer? (laughs) Tom Cruise is known for being a shorter actor of short stature. All right. Now, other than knowing about his physical height, um, the scriptures do tell us a few other things about Zacchaeus. So we're going to read. This is from Luke uh, 19, verses 1 to 2. Welcome, little Vivian, by the way. (laughs) It's nice to see you here. Sorry to draw attention to you. (laughs) Um, So Zacchaeus... Let's read this, 19. Um, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we know that Zacchaeus was a man. Uh, We know that his name was Zacchaeus, and that's a Jewish name. So we're assuming that Zacchaeus is Jewish. Interestingly, that name means righteous or pure, which doesn't necessarily fit with what we think of him. Um, We know that he's a tax collector, 
So that, in that time, was an unfavourable occupation because tax collectors collected tax or collected money from the commoners to give to the Roman government. Um, now, because he's Jew, um, he was disliked by his own people because he's working for the other side, in a sense. He's working, um, he's a servant of Caesar, and so he's gathering the money for Caesar. And further to this, tax collectors, they were known for... Um, for their dishonesty and often taking a little bit, uh, or maybe a lot, uh, extra for themselves. So in, in almost every sense of the word, he's a social outcast because he's not liked by his own people and not liked by the rest of the people. It doesn't help that it says he's the chief tax collector. So he's like the, at the top of this pyramid scheme. So he's the worst one of them all. Um, and then we know, as it said just at the beginning, that Jesus is passing through Jericho. So he lives in Jericho. And yes, this is the Jericho that Joshua marched around and the walls came tumbling down. Um, it's a city that is an oasis in the middle of the desert. And so it was lush. It was a desirable place to live um, and a prosperous place to trade. So it's a good place to collect taxes from. Not unlike maybe our North Shore. It's a, it's a lovely place. Um, so because of where he lives and what he does, he is very wealthy. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, except for in the Gospel of Luke, he presents the rich a little bit negatively. So it seems like the rich uh, seem to be a little bit resistant to the Gospel. The Gospel requires humility and giving to the poor and that kind of thing. And it seems as though the rich struggle a little bit with this. Um, just like the rich young ruler, if you know that one, who was grieved about having to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. So for Luke to mention the great wealth or the richness of Zacchaeus, he's creating that further sense of dislike and mistrust in this character of Zacchaeus. So to set the scene, uh, in verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So what was Jesus up to here? Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem. Uh, to go to the Passover. And so he would have been with other Jews. Or other Jews were also making this journey to Jerusalem. And they needed to get there before the Passover. But furthermore, with Jesus, he had that added weight um, or urgency in his journey because he knew that his time was near. So this was quite close to his crucifixion. And Jesus knew that he was approaching that. And so Jericho was his last stop before he entered Jerusalem. And uh, leading up to him coming into the city, Jesus had been attracting the crowds with his teaching, with his miracles. Um, he'd been welcoming the outsiders. So we hear the stories of him welcoming the prostitutes, the tax collectors and the children, those that were usually pushed to the outside. Those were who Jesus was welcoming in. So he was drawing quite, quite the crowd. Um, and just before he enters Jericho is is when he heals, you know, the story of the blind beggar. So the beggar's crying out to him uh, to be healed and the crowd is trying to silence him and Jesus goes and he restores sight to him. So that's just what immediately precedes him coming in. So everyone would have known in this city that Jesus is coming to town and Zacchaeus was no exception. He knew that Jesus was coming to town. And so he, it says in verse 3, he sought to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but could not on account of the crowd because he was small of stature. I think it's interesting how keen Zacchaeus was to see Jesus. Now, usually we don't seek out people who are going to make us 
feel bad about ourselves or who are going to condemn us or who we think might notice something wrong about us. Those aren't the kind of people that we seek with such earnesty. And, and yet this is what Zacchaeus is doing. He's very, very keen to see Jesus. And so it says to me, and I wonder if Zacchaeus knew somewhat of the goodness and graciousness of this Jesus. It could be very well that he had actually heard of this Jesus, maybe even had an encounter. Perhaps he had, uh, John the Baptist, interestingly, had been preparing the way for Jesus very close to Jericho three years earlier, and he was baptizing tax collectors and the like. So it is possible that Zacchaeus knew at least or hoped that Jesus was this Messiah. And so he's drawn, I think, to a sense that Jesus is good and gracious. And I think that this is what has drawn most of us to this Jesus, is a sense of his goodness and his graciousness. It's something that's sparked something in our hearts. This Jesus is good, and he will be good to me. And I hope that as people who have Christ in us and as a church, that that's how we are in order to draw others, that we are people who are gracious and good and kind, and that's what that draws others in, into our midst. So Zacchaeus, he did have obstacles. He was shorter, and because the crowd was there around him, he, he couldn't see Jesus. And so in verse 4, he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now, I think if he was sort of that that older guy, I'm not sure he would have had the energy to run on ahead and climb up a tree. Um, but this, this is what he does. And so, you know, the verbs that, that Luke uses in the story, it just it presents such an energy. Um, just like our song, How Great Thou Art. I thought that was awesome because it's the energy, isn't it? Like there's, there's something about this movement towards Jesus that can be exciting. And this is what Zacchaeus gets caught up, up into. And so he decides he's going to run ahead and he's going to climb up into a sycamore tree. Now, here is a picture of the very sycamore tree in Jericho. I'm just kidding. That's not the very one. But... <laughs> It is the one they say it is, and I'm sure they gather a lot of money and revenue from saying that's the tree he climbed. Um, but that is a sycamore tree, so it would have looked like that and probably was about that big. So there you go. Now, I can't say that I always have that demeanor and that energy to catch a glimpse. You know, and, and, I, and I think we can all relate to that, is that you know, we wish we had a little bit more of that excitement. But I think perhaps, again, what gives Zacchaeus uh, this enthusiasm is his hope or even expectation that Christ will respond favorably to him. And I think we have the right to have that hope and expectation that Jesus will respond favorably towards us. And of course, in this story, Jesus does in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, whether Jesus supernaturally knew his name or had had an encounter with him or just because Zacchaeus was well-known, um, we don't know. But he does use his name. And using his name tells Zacchaeus that he is known. Taking someone's name gives them a sense of, I am known. And it's as if Jesus is saying, ha, there you are. I found you. 
And in a sense, we, we have found Jesus, but we were never unknown to him. In, uh, in previous chapters, Jesus have, has speaks of the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep, and we sang about it this morning, pursuing us, and, and the prodigal son. And the lost things and the lost people, they're never unknown. Otherwise, you wouldn't have known that you'd lost them, right? So they're not unknown. You were never unknown. And Jesus comes to call you by name and seek you out. Think of what it would have been like for Zacchaeus, a social outcast, someone unliked by everyone else, to receive this kind of invitation from Jesus. Not only is Jesus um, calling him to come down and meet him face to face, he's inviting him over, himself over, to stay at Zacchaeus' house. And furthermore, he's making this statement in front of the people, the crowd. And I think this is his way, Jesus' way, of restoring a sense of dignity to Zacchaeus. It's worth noting that uh, Jesus uses this imperative, I must. It's more than a suggestion of, I'd like to come to your house, or would you mind if I came to your house? He says, I must come to your house. And so I think here we should probably assume that there's something divine about this appointment, uh, that the story has significance beyond Zacchaeus. But for Zacchaeus, having Jesus invite him to his home, it was a big deal. Now, I don't know about you, but I think people, having people in your home, it's a pretty personal thing. Uh, some people have the gift of hospitality. I am not one of them. It is a gift. Um, I'm, just, I'm a personal person, and it means if I invite people into my home that they're going to see my stuff, they're going to see my kids and perhaps how they're behaving, they're going to probably eat some food I've made, and I hate making food, so <laughs> it's a vulnerable thing. You know, you're inviting people in to sort of see more of who you are. Um, and yet, it's a necessary gesture uh, to, to really get to know people on another level. Uh, personal and a relational level. So it's not an excuse if you also say, I'm not a hospitable person. Um, you need to work on it, as I do. And Zacchaeus, he is totally ready for Jesus to do this. In verse 6, he said, So he came down at once and received him joyfully. He came down at once. Again, there's this quick, isn't there? And so he says... Um, think just there with that quick thing is that sometimes we need to respond quickly to Jesus. The word received here, it's translated from the Greek as a gesture of inviting and taking us into taking someone into your home. So we can assume here that now the scene has shifted to Zacchaeus's house and that he's he's eagerly and joyfully accepting Jesus into his home. So what does that look like for you? What does it look like to receive Jesus into your home? I think it means inviting him into the mess, inviting him into the arguments, into the frustrations, into the joys, into the routines. It might mean feel like you're inviting him into your actual home, but maybe it's just that personal thing, the home that is your heart, that you're inviting him into and to just get personal and relational with you. Um, I, don't, 
I don't have quiet times. I gave those up four children ago. (laughs) So for me, I have to let him in to my day-to-day. I do. I have to let him into those times when things are just chaotic. You know, I've got to pray in the car, pray on the move, that kind of thing, speak to him then. That's what it looks like for me to invite him into my day-to-day. And the story would have been great to end here, how wonderful this interaction, Zacchaeus inviting Jesus into his home. But now we have the haters enter the scene. Always got the haters. So if we've moved to Zacchaeus' house, we're assuming that the people there are mostly Jews and likely many priests and they're milling about the home and they observe Zacchaeus taking Jesus into his home and their response is judgmental. Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all murmured, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And the murmuring here... It feels like a soft word, but actually the translation means indignantly complaining. Indignantly complaining. Who does that? I've done that. I felt convicted reading that, that indignant complaint. I see this, you know, I think one of, one of the more harmful things, I don't think it was supposed to be harmful, but are those Facebook groups <clears throat> that are set up for your neighbourhood. I don't know if any of you belong to those. And the people that indignantly complain, it starts with one, you know, they can see these weeds over here, they're awful, you know, who's cleaning that up? And then it just rolls on, you have a bunch of indignant complainers. And it's, um, it's intriguing, but awful at the same time, you know. We don't need that, all right? These others, they're assuming that Zacchaeus is a sinner. Now, we actually don't know that. To them, this makes what Jesus is doing offensive because it means he's associating with the unclean and so that would make him unclean. But they don't know the truth of Zacchaeus' heart. You know, church, we never know the truth about a person's heart or their relationship with Jesus. We cannot and we must not be the judge of others' outward appearances. We don't get to determine their value to Jesus We should try not to be the murmurers, the grumblers, the complainers. But I think Zacchaeus, he feels compelled to respond to these complaints. In verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. The reason I've highlighted that word stood, when he stands, it's not just a It's not just a physical standing up. It also has the connotation that he's standing up for himself or that he's establishing something in front of people. And so he speaks to Jesus, but the people would have heard. And then it's important to note that the original Greek, it uses present tense. It says, I give to the poor. And it says, I restore it fourfold. And I think that's interesting. I wonder again if he had already heard some of those teachings, maybe of John the Baptist or even of Jesus, of what the way to repentance means. But whether he's doing it or intends to do it, what he's saying is, you've changed me. Jesus has changed me. And he does, doesn't he? He changes us. And this is just one of those amazing representations of how Christ changes people. And in the presence of the crowd, Jesus affirms the salvation of Zacchaeus 
and his belonging as part of the family of God. In verse 9, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Not he has become, but he is. He belongs. And what Jesus does for Zacchaeus, he also does for us. Not because of what we've done or intend to do, good or bad, but because we believe that he came to seek us out and to save us. And that's how Luke finishes this story with this theological truth in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And this was the mission of Jesus. His life, his death and resurrection, they're meant to be understood in the context of Jesus coming to save the lost. And who are the lost? That's all of us, church. That's all of us. He came for the poor, the broken, the outcasts, but he also came for the rich and the popular and the good-looking. He came for all. We were all lost, and we have been found by him. So where do you see yourself in this journey? We've been talking about here to there, you know, and Zacchaeus has this journey. And, uh, and I think that we could see ourselves in, this, in some part of this journey. Um, perhaps you're in the process of being drawn just by this Jesus who sounds good and gracious and loving. And if that's the case, seek him out eagerly. Be like Zacchaeus. Run, climb a tree. You know, find him. He is good and he will respond favorably to you. You might be in that tree waiting for your Jesus moments. And this week, as I've been thinking about this, this is where Jesus put me. You know, I'm waiting for some moments, some real significant moments to see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, come down, Janelle, come down from the tree. I want to get personal with you. And I had that sense that while it's okay to be a spectator and to be a big fan of sports, right, Vic? You know, you're showing support. You are really, really all about the game and you can be really, really enthusiastic. But it's an entirely different story to be in the game. And for some of you, that's what he's saying. Get in the game. Get out from the tree, come down, meet me face to face and get in the game. And then further to that, he might be inviting himself into your home. And to that I'd say, receive him joyfully. Let him get into that personal space. Let him change you from the inside out. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of the Shaw Vineyard Podcast. Real quick, before you go, if you haven't already, it would be a great idea to subscribe to the podcast, especially if somebody sent this to you so that you don't miss when the next episode gets published. And if you are on Auckland's North Shore and in the Forest Hill or the Bays area, we'd love to host you in person at one of our services, either 10 a.m. or 5 p.m. this coming Sunday. It would be our honour to host you as a guest this weekend. Whatever is in store for you for the rest of the day, the rest of this week, I hope it is a good one, and we'll see you next time here on the Shore Vineyard Podcast.